0: Maybe not the most inspirational educational quote, but when Johnny Lawrence of Cobra Kai says, in the real world, you can't expect people to do what they're supposed to do, there's some truth to that. We all want our students to be engaged, but it's not a given. If we come in just expecting it, well, we might find that Johnny is right. We as teachers have to bring students to the mat by becoming master instructional designers who strengthen students academically, personally, and socially. Wanna know more on this? Check us out on this part two episode on student engagement and Cobra Kai. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, La Capitana, Casey Veach, Team Skeptic and Idea Slinger of Spaghetti, Emily Cochran, and me, clarifying the GLG butter, Jenny Labrie.
1: On our last episode, we discussed engagement through the amazing lens of the Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. We explored whether or not these competing dojos are building authentic engagement and how they teach their students. We began by dissecting it through the engagement continuum, starting with the white belt of rebellion and moving all the way up through the coveted black belt of deep engagement, where students are highly motivated and committed to achieving academic and personal excellence.
2: So our intention for the second part of this two-part series is to dive into some strategies for building that authentic engagement in our students, whether they're in the dojo or in the classroom. All right. So part two, ladies, let's go. Wondering if we could get started by giving a little bit of a recap of those six factors of motivation that we were discussing last time for anyone who was listening or just wants a refresher.
0: Yeah, Casey, why don't you pull out another book out of your Mary Poppins bag? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I tell everybody that you all tease me for having this giant bag of books. And I kid you not, I was working from home the other day, and I literally brought home this 13 by 13 crate full of books, just in case I needed any of them. Book hoarder here for sure. So as we mentioned in our last episode, lifelong educator, Mike Anderson, recently published a book with ASCD called Tackling the Motivation crisis. And in the book, very briefly, he highlights six factors that motivate people. And a number of other authors have written on this work. Many of us may recognize Daniel Pink in his book Drive. Pieces oh, yeah. of it come up in other places too. Anderson gives us competence, curiosity, autonomy, belonging, fun and purpose, as being the key motivating factors.
0: And we mentioned in our part one of this two parter, that we have covered a lot of these topics already in previous episodes. So if you want to go back to our part one, you'll get where you can find things like autonomy or belonging, or we've had quite a few episodes on fun, because we are a group that likes to play games. But what are the two? What are the two that we're covering today in more depth since we haven't in the past?
2: So looking back at our past catalog, we noticed that there was a little bit of a gap there where curiosity and competency are concerned. So that's why we wanted to do a deeper dive on those two particular factors today. One, because we haven't already, and two, because we want to make sure that we're covering all these motivating factors for building genuine engagement. Mm -hmm. So with that, let's begin by talking about competency.
1: Yeah, so I'll kick us off here with competence. So Really, when we think about competence, Daniel Pink in his book says it best that competency is the desire to get better and better at something that matters or something that really does drive us. So for example, if we think about our work lives, or the work that we do, the things that take precedence or priority in our work are things that we really like or feel that we're really, really good at sometimes too much unproductive struggle actually brings us down and serves as an unmotivator. First and foremost, though, I think it's important to make a connection between clarity and competence. The three of us have studied clarity quite a lot.
2: Yeah. Did that come up in our dirty words episode? It might have. We should have. <laughs> we should have.
1: So do we want to talk about for everybody listening here, the definition that we are looking at when it comes to clarity?
0: There's many different ways you can look at it. But the first one that comes to my mind is clarity around the learning targets, learning objectives, the scope of where you're headed and why. And so if we are transparent about that with our students, without it you're feeling around in the dark for something you may not know where you're going so that clarity really does help what about you
2: guys no you hit the nail on the head with the idea of providing the why there's some degree of providing this is what we're going to be learning this is what this unit is about this is what you'll be expected to do and be able to do by the end of the unit however i think really the part where you articulate that why is going to be really crucial for providing that engagement and making sure that idea of it mattering that's where you provide that piece where you connect what you're doing to why it matters that you're doing it
1: Exactly. For me, clarity has always been the cutesy phrase of no secrets teaching. Everybody knows why we're doing what we're doing, how it's going to help them achieve their goals. And that way, everybody knows where the direction that we're headed is. The Cobra Kai connection to this is Miguel. Miguel. Right. He first starts training with Johnny because he doesn't want to be this kid who's always beaten up and picked on by these other kids at school. So he decides that he's going to commit himself to the art of karate under Johnny and learn to be a, a, I'm just going to say it, a badass like he is and he finds success the more he trains specifically. If you think about the fight he gets into with the guys at school that gets video or videotaped. Oh my gosh. That gets recorded. and on you, 80.
2: The eighties are back.
0: <laughs> We're talking Cobra but, Kai though. Not the karate kid. <laughs>
1: <Yep>. <laughs> Thanks friends. Um, but, but he's driven to even more success as is Johnny once the dojo starts getting recognition because he showed his prowess and skill. So to me, that's anchoring the learning in Miguel's future goals and continues to drive him as he seeks to become better and better and continue his training.
0: I love that, Casey, because that commitment and conviction, a goal that you stick to actually does have a ripple effect and momentum on your learning or on your process, there's something intrinsically a part of you because you start to feel like, I think I can, I think, I can. what is that The Is that a train going up a hill? The little engine
2: that could. Yeah, that guy yeah. could. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. <laughs> I do think it's interesting too that you provided this idea of the whole dojo elevating once Miguel provided that example too. So like you have this one person who actively connects that clarity that mission of what we're supposed to be doing and why we're doing something and it becomes a little bit public to the point where other people who are interested in or attending the dojo notice it and it elevates the whole class collective that way too Mm -hmm. kind of tiptoeing into the world of exemplar studies and why they're helpful too but it does anything like that where you can provide a good example of how it works and why can really be helpful.
1: And here's me diving into a separate set of the metaphor. When it comes to clarity, I know, Jenny, you mentioned communicating the learning targets and utilizing them throughout instruction. I think Danny, in his Miyagi-Do dojo, does this exceptionally well when he has the kids build muscle memory with paint the fence, sweep the floor, and wax on and wax off. The kids are daily practicing those skills that when it comes time for them to use their defense, it is an immediate reaction. He's building off of those. The kids get frustrated because he doesn't clearly communicate, well, here's why I'm having you sleep the floor. He eventually shows them, specifically Robbie in the first season, like you think I'm just having you do chores, but really I'm building your skill towards this. And it depends on the kind of kid. He gets lucky that Robbie stays committed, unlike some of the other kids who come later. But that's why
2: we've got to really communicate and utilize those targets throughout the learning process. That harkens back to how Miyagi handled him as a kid too. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting that he is trotting out this older instructional practice that his own sensei had used. That was the exact same thing where it was like, When am I going to stop doing chores and actually do something that matters? But then Miyagi then trots out what he was building with all those chores and that muscle memory. And it seems like he's using the exact same strategy that Miyagi Mm -hmm. used to do.
1: Yep. It's a framework. Miyagi taught him the framework that he is now utilizing. And this is something we can learn from as teachers. Utilizing frameworks or ladders of success can help us communicate the big why and the what of learning. In a previous episode, we talked about design thinking. The problem changes, but the workflow, the thinking around that process doesn't change. So we as teachers wanna try to leverage any frameworks like our scientific methods or for writing our smiley face tricks to help students feel that sense of competence that when they have a new or a novel situation, they can apply that
0: learning. You betcha. The framework is like a scaffolding tool that Mm -hmm. is humming in the background, as I like to say, so that you have something there that feels innate so that you can level up as a learner. It's like, again, my metaphors are all over the place, but the training wheels, right? You have those training wheels or the bumpers when you're bumper bowling. You don't need them, but having them there is going to make you feel more competent and therefore more motivated and engaged. You're not spiraling in any kind of negativity because you feel. Supported.
1: Well, it's why you don't start by using the actual samurai sword when you're practicing oh, martial no? arts. Yeah. You oh, sure. Start with the wood gosh. swords first. So everyone has that sense of safety while training. Absolutely.
2: As everybody panically pictures their own children holding a samurai sword. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then Emily, I love that you mentioned the exemplar study it's important for us to anchor this in our teaching or education practice. One of my favorite strategies for looking and evaluating exemplars is actually a yes-no T-chart, where you, over the course of several rounds, have students look at two examples of both quality work and striving work, so work that's not quite there yet, and have them Think about why is something in the yes column and the other thing is in the no column and have them discuss and build that understanding. That can be a really tangible way of studying those examples.
0: And in Cobra Kai, who's the yes and who's the no? Or the striver. (laughs) Putting it on the spot, Veach. Do we really have to say it's grease and silver? Oh yeah. (laughs) Those guys
2: are the worst.
0: (sighs) into other kids'
1: houses to destroy them. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a no.
2: Yes, yes. Providing the no exemplar very, very clearly. I don't know, but Johnny
0: Lawrence... His methods are unorthodox. They They sure are. (laughs) The
2: impact. Awesome. So since we've talked a little bit about strategies for building the clarity and competence in our students, let's look at the other end of things and figure out some strategies to pique student curiosity.
1: Definitely. And I think, though, before we dive into strategies, it's important for us to anchor it and ground this in our metaphor.
2: Of course. And
1: (laughs) to me, no sensei tries to pique students' curiosity more than Danny LaRusso. He tries to get them to unpack why they feel the way of the fist is the way for them to go. Trying to get them to reflect and question the Cobra Kai way of doing things offense is the only sort of defense that you can do.
2: Well, yeah. So what are some of the things that Danny does to try to get the kids in his dojo to start questioning that?
1: One of the things he tries to do, unsuccessfully in this case, but he tries to show off their skills in new or novel ways. Because the brain loves novelty, right? It craves the different and unique So at a local community fair, he tries to put on this display of skill with himself, Sam, and Robbie doing these amazing feats. And he rolls out this ice breaking trolley that has like 12 panes of glass that he's going to punch through. And he thinks that this is going to really be this new and novel thing. And it doesn't actually work in this case, because Johnny Lawrence brings out like, I think, eight bricks that he lights on fire and then pounds through. (laughs) But that's one way that they try to through, yes, discussion and having conversations, but also through creating new or novel situations. And what happens after that event is more kids join Johnny Lawrence's version of Cobra Kai because they see that, whoa, that guy lit those bricks on fire and then broke them all.
0: Right. That piece of curiosity is wanting to know more. That novelty is the spark that ignites the learning. It's a spark that makes Mm -hmm. people want to go into an experience and engage even further. That harkens back to a really good hook in a lesson, right? But you can really leverage that instead of a teacher-centered or a teacher-created hook, what could students be doing to either describe or inquire or find their own hook or their own curiosity within themselves is even more powerful, but it has a similar concept to what we've learned in the past about having a hook of a lesson.
2: Well, and that actually makes me think of something that we have discussed very lightly before when we talked about questioning, as we talked about QFT, the question formulation Mm -hmm. technique, and we mentioned those visual entry points or those hook images or stimuli that you could use to provide a, a sense of curiosity or desire for inquiry and get students to start listing different types of questions without stopping is to provide something as interesting as say, a brick on fire, mm-hmm. that's going to be that type of thing that gets kids asking questions. Well, how is he going to do that? How, that? how did he work up to that? How does a person get to achieve that? Where do I learn this? When do I learn this part? There are a lot of questions that spring from a really striking image like that. And the other thing I'd point out about that example, too, is I think for everybody who felt a little bit of panic hearing that Daniel's method failed, in the real world, teachers aren't really competing against each other. So any right. th- any sense of novelty, I'm sure the walls of ice and the fiery brick would have worked if they weren't set right next to each other in -hmm. the exact same space. Whereas I think providing that novelty or providing that little image or stimuli to get students wanting to inquire wanting to ask questions, no matter what you choose, as long as you're working with something new and really Mm -hmm. eye-catching, it's going to work.
0: Absolutely. I mean, just think about your own self, any listeners out there, and has there ever been a question that you haven't quite been able yet to answer that you have and you want to know more? And it's something that drives you to continue to pursue something. The power of curiosity is one of the many elements that we're talking about that add to that piece in the lesson design. And sometimes you'll hear an instructor say, well, I've got all this content to get to. I don't have time to build this curiosity. But that's the part if you're not creating the space for these types of moments for people Emily as you're talking about what those students are saying oh like what I want to know more I want to know more they're taking the ownership over Mm -hmm. the learning process it becomes theirs it becomes a part of them now versus hey that's your thing that I'm going to need to be able to recite back or to memorize no it's now my thing that I want to know more about and then it's going to drive further experiences as you go along. Well,
1: Emily, I love that you brought up QFT, right? And that question focus. Even if you're not familiar with question formulation techniques, starting with maybe a couple of images, two, three, or four, no matter the grade level, and asking students to look at each of the images and consider what do they all have in common, not only piques their curiosity because they're scanning these visuals to try to find something meaningful, But two, you're able to assess any prior knowledge based on what they're able to come up with and determine. So it's a twofold benefit to tap into Jenny, your comment about, well, I have all this content to get through. You may not have to teach the content if kiddos already have that pre-existing knowledge that you wouldn't have known about otherwise.
0: And Casey, I would even argue it's three, because the other thing is, it's going to provide you with evidence and data as to where kids are in their learning. And so it's also another Mm -hmm. formative assessment tool that you can use in order to help figure out where kids are at, what they need to know, what they want to know, and how to find patterns. Mm hmm. Exactly. And
1: speaking of patterns, another strategy, I stumbled across this strategy from a blog post from Jennifer Gonzalez, Cult of Pedagogy. She explains the inductive teaching strategy where you give kids a whole bunch of terms or like it could be if you're studying what makes a mammal a mammal, you give kids a whole bunch of organisms and have them group them By what you're describing, Jenny, those patterns so that they can start building meaning from that conversation and it's less well, an insect has all of these features and a mammal has all of these features. Instead of talking at, the kids are building that meaning. So you haven't looked
2: up or learned about the inductive teaching strategy, definitely check out her blog post. Yeah, that's great. So you can get students to notice some of the trends or patterns. And again, even bringing it back to Cobra Kai, you know, we've talked a little bit about the differing methodologies of these senseis where they're going to be having these patterns that they noticed in the way that they're learning a skill even. And that is something that either glues them to that method or sometimes they switch dojos.
1: Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about strategies that really create a sense of novelty. The next one that really does pique novelty and interest is the mystery draw. So you would have either a box or a jar or even a bag where different tasks that align to the day's learning target are put into that bag. And then kids, either as individuals or groups, have to draw a task out of the bag and then go and complete that task doesn't use data in the way that we would want so if a student is already showing mastery in a skill they could and have a potential of drawing something they're already really good at but it's nice if you can differentiate the
2: different tasks based on student needs so that's the mystery draw no, I love that. If you really think about this idea of building curiosity in students, even when the task that they have to do that is still related to the learning that they have is sort of a, a bit of a mystery to them. There's still that mm-hmm. building of curiosity, even about what am I going to get or what am I going to do? Like just even building that piece of engagement is really nice.
1: And there's an opportunity too if you do this in groups, where kids will then partner up and match up based on the task they get, Ooh. it pushes them out of their comfort zone to work with somebody new. As well. So we've talked a lot about strategies that really play off the sense of novelty. The other thing, if you all recall, that many of us are probably familiar with is the cliffhanger, right? You're in the middle of a story, and all of a sudden, It goes to black. And then next season on this particular show, Cobra Kai, I'm really wanting to know how
2: everybody does in the (laughs) world tournament. Um, Yeah. I was going to say anybody who's ever binged a TV show knows what that's about. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So
1: one of these strategies that plays off of the cliffhanger is a strategy called stop the story. So as students are in the middle of a story at a key hinge point, you have the students complete or work through a decision matrix. So what would happen, for example, in Horton Here's a Who, if Horton decides to give the flower to the evil kangaroo and her baby? Who would be impacted? What could the potential harm be? What are some other options that Horton could come up with in this moment? And have kids actually explore those different Opportunities before they continue on in the story. So it really
2: taps into prediction, but also questioning at the same time. That made me think of those choose your own adventure books. When I was younger, I would always be like marking back to where the decision was made in case I made the wrong one. But it's nice because you always want to see how the decisions that a character makes. Plays out. Mm -hmm. However, it's interesting to explore the decisions that don't play out and to build that sense of wonder and curiosity that way too.
0: And Emily, you're touching a little bit on one of those six from Mike Anderson's book, the autonomy that we talked about last episode too. That autonomy of choosing, having the control of some of the learning there, whether or not that's the real outcome of the story.
2: Yeah, it does give the students a sense of autonomy where if they want to explore another choice, they get more in the driver's seat of the story alongside the author. And two, it's a process of helping students
1: build empathy. Because what's the best decision for Horton? What's the best decision for other characters in the story, for example? Or which option would benefit another group? So there's other ways that you can use that strategy, depending on what it is you're looking at or reviewing. You could even do it in social studies too.
2: Now that we've talked about all these different ways that we can get students to be engaged through piquing their curiosity, through providing them with clarity and competency, let's play a game because what is more engaging than a game for me nothing i mean we did mention this that's the fun component we're bringing it back yeah so the game today is just a very simple would you rather but i have grounded it in the understanding of the fact that cobra kai came out in 2018 and it harkens back to the karate kid which came out in 1984 so we are going to play a would you rather version of top movies that came out in 1984 versus top movies that came out in 2018. Which would you rather watch? So let's have, Casey, let's have you go ahead and be the first to choose a number from 1 through 10.
1: Let's do number 1.
2: All right, I like it. Would you rather watch the number 1 movie of 1984, which was Ghostbusters? Or... The number one movie of 2018, which was Black Panther.
0: Oh, it's oh, so, <laughs> so hard. It's the oh. worst. So hard. It's like the worst, but in all the right ways. Yes. Wait. You want them both, don't you? I know. Gotta choose one. Is this a Marvel movie I actually know and really, really like? Yes. Oh. Go to Marvel? <laughs> is that Marvel? I love that movie. I just didn't know it was Marvel, but I did know. It me.
2: is. Black Panthers? Oh, gosh.
0: This is hard.
1: I think I would rather watch Black Panther. I'm going to go ahead as well. You can explain (laughs) if you want to. Go ahead. No, I don't want to. I I, I just, other than Sebastian Stan, Chadwick Boseman, and Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. I forget the
2: sister. She is amazing. Letitia Wright. Sure. Yeah. She's awesome. So.
1: That's been my explanation.
2: I already tipped my hand on that, but I'm going with that one too. And it's also because as a child, I was super traumatized by the librarian ghost in the first scene of Ghostbusters. <laughs> so I am also going to go with Black Panther, but mostly just because I got spooked and never got over it. We'll make that a threefer because I uh, would oh. say Black Panther
0: all the way. And for once, a Marvel. You understood this I really- reference. <laughs> yeah. I- yes. Yay. And, I- and I can honestly say, I really, really enjoyed that one. That was a good watch.
2: Black Panther was amazing. So that one gets the win. 2018 takes the win unanimously. All right. So, Jenny, you're next. Pick your number one through 10. We've done the number ones. What else is there? Ooh, four.
0: That's my favorite number.
2: All right. So the number four movie. Oh, look at this is a little on the nose. The number four movie of 1984 was The Karate Kid. No! (gasps) Yup. Good pick, Jenny. Yep, And then the number four movie of 2018 was Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Oh, this one won't even take me long. For sure. Karate Kid, all the way. Jurassic World,
0: meh. Was this the one where the dinosaurs fall in love at the end? Like, it's real weird. Wait, what? Dinosaurs fall in love? <laughs> Not, like, officially. <laughs> but they, like, go, like... And they like look like they love each other and then they go like kill things. It was weird. I can't gonna, remember which of the Jurassic Worlds that was, but it was really I'm
2: going to need a ringtone of Jenny making that dinosaur. <laughs> oh, <love> shoot. Noise. <laughs>
0: and because it's the episode how could i not choose karate kid that's mine
2: well explained jurassic world fallen kingdom i don't remember dinosaurs in love but i do remember like (laughs) volcanoes and like sad stuff with dinosaurs dying and i don't like that vibe i don't like when animals get killed in movies even when they're like super dangerous scary animals i'm going with karate kid how many times do i have to yell sweep the leg it's a classic let's go I'm going to have
1: to go against the herd on this one. And it's really? just because, number one, we discussed this last time, and I think even earlier in this episode, I have not watched The Karate Kid. I have only watched Cobra Kai. Mm, this um, is so backwards. So, so <laughs> yeah. I am going to, because dinosaurs still play a big role in my house, and I actually remember seeing Fallen Kingdom. I'm going to pick that one as much as I would like to give ralph macchio my vote today i
2: can't in good conscience would i rather that gotcha all right all right so the last one is me and it's a teeny bit of a cheat because i copy pasted these lists on here but i don't remember which one was which so i'm going with three so the number three movie in 1984 was gremlins and the number three movie in 2018 was incredibles 2 what am I supposed to do with this? Okay. So. Gremlins freak me out. <laughs> so- <laughs> gizmo,
1: but gizmo. Gremlins creep me gizmo. out. I'm Cute. sorry, I, their laughter haunts my dreams, and the fact Ooh. that they—it's just—it's no. So I'm going with Incredibles too. I can't even remember the storyline, but I—I <laughs> I
2: support you. Yeah, I support your choice. You're going with the I got freaked out <laughs> reasoning I used yeah. for Ghostbusters. Yeah. I'm gonna make the same choice, but I actually have more of an affinity towards Incredibles too, and that's the one where Elastigirl really gets her moment in the sun, and mm-hmm. she's the power player. In the family. So, of course, I like that one a lot. And also, that one was very near and dear to my superhero loving son. So, we are going to roll with Incredibles, too. Yeah, Gremlins is way scarier than I remembered. We mm-hmm. might have made the mistake of starting to watch it with our kids, turned it off pretty quickly. That's not for right. kids, folks. Yeah. Things we learned from the 80s. We've learned a lot since then, hopefully. <laughs>
0: I'm surprising myself cuz I do not like scary movies, but poor Gizmo, he needs a vote. So, I'm Gizmo. going with that one. It's a classic versus a sequel. All that right, so fair. it's really not who wins as Casey Emily or Jenny, and more so which year wins. Yes. Is 84 better or is 2018 better?
2: I think 2018 got I think got they more did. Votes. 2018 got more votes.
0: Check the math.
1: I got it. I got the math. I've spoken to our production team. There's the math. And so Black Panther, I think, was the one that put it over the edge.
2: Yeah, I mean, that that movie was a banger in honor of
1: the most recent installment of the Black Panther. Panther franchise coming out. That's right. Hope well we all played. Chance
2: to check it out. All right. If we're ever doing some other random 80s year versus this year, then we know what to do. All right. So thanks for playing Taste of What's to Come. We've got other exciting episodes coming up in season three, but just a little holiday treat coming up with this moment in time. We uh, last year did a little mini series through winter called the Pop Culture Winter Wonderland, some light, easy and fun pop culture connection type of episodes like we do through the summer through the winter season as well, where folks are really busy, keep you engaged and keep you laughing. Please join us for that.
0: And that's a wrap. It's so good to be behind the mics talking to you all. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our Guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues as always, and you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com, and on Twitter at GroundedLGuild, at 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 TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie using the hashtag GLGPodChat. Do you even realize your feedback is everything? Feedback is a powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already or are finding us for the first time, how about leaving us a review as well as subscribing? You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you at the next Guild meeting. And don't forget, in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.